the Gourd Medal Winning Podcast. This week, we're back, and I'm sure we'll take it completely easy, not rocking a single boat or dropping a modicum of a hot take. Coming up, we'll talk about calcium chloride, development subsidies, city managers, and maybe even a casino. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 68 after a month-long winter break. We're well-rested. We hope council is too because we've got a whole year coming up. This isn't like the legislature where they take breaks, you know, every couple weeks for three months. It's going to be a long slog until when's the next break? Spring, I think. Yeah, something like that. They're back into it already. A slightly lighter week, but... Still, agendas will come fast and furious. Upcoming this year will be coverage by an award-winning podcast. We're no longer nominated for an award. We are an award-winning podcast. I understand your agent has been inundated with calls. Go figure that uh, podcasting in Edmonton isn't actually as glamorous as I might <laughs> lead people to believe. But we did win a Canadian Online Publishing Award. We were gold in the consumer category for best podcast. So up against the Huffington Post, Canada. So yeah, suck at Huffington Post. Serious competition. Um, yeah, so like, <laughs> it's not nothing. You know, I if I'm a little bit of a jerk on Twitter, it's, it's warranted because I'm famous now. Um, but I'm going to use my fame to uh, make some really abusive jokes to people in the community in a rapid fire segment. Sweet Convenience, a candy store in the West End, spent this week offering discounts on candy equal to the current temperature with Windchill. This represents Windchill's final form as a purely inflationary metric designed to allow more records to be broken and more whinging to be included in each conversation without material changes in the real temperature. In the true spirit of capitalism, whoever got in their perfectly heated vehicle, drove across the city to the store, showed up and bloviated the hardest, got the best deal. In a seemingly unrelated story this week, government meteorologists received requests for a new weather metric called the dry cold factor, which would make it easily minus 70 or minus 80. The city of Edmonton received a Smart 50 award for their use of AI software in delivering municipal services. The app in question assesses whether a homeowner was likely to pass their low-risk inspection, based mostly on their past track record, and then automatically approves it to focus staff time on more complex and higher-risk inspections. The model of doing time and then rewarding good behavior is a tried-and-true system employed by the criminal justice system. A lead on the project said, quote, While we don't like to compare interacting with the city to going to prison, well, if the snowboat fits, you know? Like the worst McDonald's drive through the city of Edmonton is reducing the 311 operating hours to no longer be 24 hours a day. The operating hours will be halved starting February 2nd in response to slashed provincial funding for municipalities. While you will still be able to report animals attacking you in order to steal your 2am nuggies by calling a dedicated line, regular 311 services like phoning to ask what's the most effective bus to take to get to those 2am nuggies, or when the recycling from your purchase of 6,000 Nuggies will get picked up, or getting permit inspections for your new Nuggie franchise, those will have to be done between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And oh boy, do we have New Year new ads for you. You haven't heard any of these ones before. Coming up, we want to tell you about Skirts of Fire. It's a festival that features the work of women in the arts. This year's festival is bigger than ever before, with venues in Old Strathcona, downtown Edmonton, and Alberta Ave. Among the highlights is The Blue Hour, a timely, funny, complicated, and ultimately heartbreaking play, well, spoiler alert, set in the small Alberta town circa 1947. 
That's at the Westbury Theater in the Arts Barns in Old Strathcona. Uh, Skirts of Fire takes place from February 27th to March 8th. And festival passes are on sale now for just $38. That'll get you into the Blue Hour, one evening performance at the Station on Jasper, and as many by donation events as you like. Get your tickets at skirtsafire.com. That's skirtsafire.com. Really, just to gladwell this in there, third read, skirtsafire.com. All right, so we're back, and let's, new year, new topics. We're not going to rehash anything we've talked about before. Nope, everything's new. Calcium chloride! (laughs) I felt like we had to talk about it given the weather and how cold it's been and all of the things that happen when it's cold. And I was reading the city of Edmonton's news release about this and how they continue to run the city even though it's cold. Like, what else are they going to do? And a few things caught my eye. So first, before we get to calcium chloride, how do LRT rails crack? Uh, The same way anything else cracks, Mac. I don't know how anything else cracks. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no, I had that same question. This week, a couple LRT rails cracked. And the city reports, they said it was like pretty minor in terms of like trains could still run on them. They just had to go a bit slowly. I mean, minor, though. I drove by the 51st Avenue one at Southgate at 7 a.m. the other morning and there was a lot of people out there working on it. Like it didn't look like a minor fix. Yeah. Well, so apparently the cold caused our LRT rails to crack a little bit long extended cold does that i thought was really interesting in the transforming edmonton blog post that they couldn't actually repair one of the rails overnight like they wanted to because it was minus 40 all night and their repair equipment was breaking (laughs) go figure another thing i saw in the news release was about sand this gets us a bit closer to talking about calcium chloride. Um, it said since January 8th, the city has already used more than 8,500 tons of sand on city streets. And I was like, hmm, is that a lot or not? So I looked it up. News article says that an average each winter for Edmonton is 150,000 tons. So we're pretty much on track to hit that. I saw a bunch of tweets saying that the reason the roads are so icy is because administration wants to punitively punish Edmontonians for banning calcium chloride. So they're trying to incite accidents. Uh, Do we think this is what's happening on the roads right now? Probably not. Probably not. I mean, given all of the um, challenges, shall we say, we've had it trying to achieve Vision Zero. I don't think they're malicious about it. Yeah. And it was really interesting because uh, Councillor Knack got on Twitter and basically didn't throw his hands up but you know in response to one of the threads said hey there's not actually a lot we can do i thought it was hilarious he was like when the temperatures are this cold like what do you do there's nothing he was tweeting that abrasives sand are used as traction aids because when ambient temperatures are below minus 23 degrees you can't use calcium chloride or anti-icing agents yeah and we did know this this came up during the calcium chloride discussion that you know there's a bottom threshold where it's just ineffective calcium chloride is lower than regular salt so it can be used at colder temps than just regular salt but it has a floor isn't that on its own though like wasn't the city's plan originally to mix these things together well so the proper application of calcium chloride is it's as a pre-wetting brine so basically you spray the calcium chloride on the road and then that stops ice and snow from adhering to the road okay uh, below minus 23 you pre-wet the road And you've actually just made sheer ice, uh, which isn't really what you want to do. Counterintuitive. Uh, Yeah, uh, there were some city strategies to, you know, yeah, mix calcium chloride with some sand, some salt and other mixtures to deploy onto roads. But it has the same problem. Below minus 23, the calcium chloride is just you're throwing stuff on the road and it's ice. 
So I was walking around downtown as I always do, and I was crossing the intersection at 109th Street and 104th Avenue the other day, and I nearly wiped out, and crossing opposite to me from the other side, a woman totally did wipe out. And I just thought to myself, man, it's really slippery. This wouldn't be a problem if we had just allowed calcium chloride, but maybe that's not the case. It pretty well would be. So it's possible this might have been mitigated slightly because before the big storm event, we might have pre-wetted and there might have been less initial adherence. But in a city with a lot of stopping and going, it's sort of inevitable. Snow gets packed. The snow, because of tire friction, melts into ice. The ice gets compacted and then it becomes slick. Uh at a road that's over 50 kilometers an hour, putting sand on the road basically doesn't do anything because it's within an hour, the sand will be completely dispersed and gone. It is interesting to note, like when the city was deploying sand, my like local neighborhood roads mm-hmm. and even on White Ave where cars are only going 30 or 40 because right. of conditions, the sand actually was pretty effective at slowing and getting some traction and it stayed on the road decently long because speeds were low. But once you get on to like St. Albert Trail or another 60, 70 kilometer hour roadway, it's just slick ice and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah, I read that in the city report. They said above 50 kilometers an hour, not only does the sand get dispersed to the sides of the road too quickly, it also can make it just slipperier actually than without the sand when you're going at those speeds. Um, They also said, of course, that when we use more sand, as we're going to have to do now, it's got a large environmental footprint. And there's a traffic safety risk as well, where when people see sand on the road, they believe conditions are safer than they are. And that can cause people to drive less to conditions, which, if the sand is not actually providing a material benefit, can lead to more collisions. So winter clearing is a complex strategy. And I've seen a lot of tweets this week about, oh, it's never been like this before. Mm. And true, it hasn't been precisely like this before because we are in a historic cold snap very very infrequently do we have such low and prolonged temperatures but this is how winter is edmontonians i find have a real haphazard memory of just you know we get through winter and we you know wipe our shoulders off oh man we made it through another year and we seem to forget all the hard problems we have every winter yep as a cyclist I remember the slick roads and it has been every year. I do not recall ever having just, yeah, I've got traction on every road wherever I (laughs) go. That's just not happened in a winter for me. But I think that's all we have to say on uh, calcium chloride other than, hey, I bet this might change Edmontonian's tune when it comes to the calcium chloride debate. I think coming up next year in October or so. This year or next year? Yes. And coming up October 2020, yeah. which it is 2020 now. It is now officially. Whether or not calcium chloride would have had any effect, facts don't actually matter too much in this discussion. <laughs> it's just cold. The decision to put calcium chloride on halt that was implemented by uh, Linda Cochran, our previous city manager, who no longer works for the city. She took a retirement package at the end of last year. And we got some Keith Gerine. He's moved down from provincial politics and is going to be doing some sort of at least stolty city columnist roles for a little bit. And he wrote this week about council's search for the next city manager and why we don't have time for caution. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. It's uh, something that's going to be a big deal for 2020. We're going to have a new city manager the year before we go into a municipal election. So it's a big deal. Um, Adam Lachlan is our current interim city manager. He was the deputy 
prior. And he was one of the deputies out. before. Yep. So he's now taken over the position. But of course, council has uh, been doing this broader search. So Keith's article talked about how we need to resist the temptation for a caretaker, somebody who's going to weather the economic storm and try not to rock the boat too much. And he's arguing that we should have someone who is, is instead an innovator, somebody who will see this current climate as uh, not a storm to be weathered, but an opportunity for overdue change to be embraced. And that sounds good to me, but it doesn't quite capture what I think we need to be looking for. And also, if you read the rest of his, uh, his, of his column, his examples aren't exactly what I would consider innovative and risk-taking. It sounds a lot more to me like things that you would expect the city manager to do. Like what? Like navigate a tricky relationship with the provincial government. Yeah, that sounds really innovative. You're going to have to do that one way or the other. Um, you know, dealing with uh, budget cuts or um, perfecting the art of having a productive relationship with other orders of government. Uh, he does say, to be fair, some of this work is already happening, but, you know, he's arguing for somebody who's going to take some risks. That part, I definitely agree with. It's the most Edmonton thing you can do. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but what I think we really should be talking about is what kind of city are we going to be and who do we need to fill that role? So I've said this before, maybe you've heard me say it on the podcast, but we need to be thinking about bringing in somebody for the city manager who, if not has the experience of a larger city, has the hunger to take us to become a larger city. We have city plan coming forward. It imagines us getting to 2 million people and beyond the problems that we are starting to face and the problems that we will continue increasingly to face are things that larger cities than us have already faced. Maybe not exactly because of where we're located. And, you know, there's some things that make Edmonton unique, obviously. I'm willing to bet there's a lot that has already been figured out by people in bigger cities. And we've lamented this in the past so many times, like when council was talking about installing bike lanes. They're like, well, what, a, what would a bike lane do for cyclist safety and for businesses? Nah, you, other cities have done this. Be Calgary has done this Other before. places have been there. Edmonton is not unique. It's we, we like to think we're special snowflakes up here in the cold, but most city problems are the same for basically all cities around the world. So you can be an innovator, but you can still be somebody who's moved up the ranks internally like Linda Cochran did. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's what we're looking for. I think we're looking for somebody who's coming from outside the city. I think it's either, you know, the person who's been number two at a big city and now wants the opportunity to take the lead and really prove that they can take a city forward and apply what they've learned in a bigger place or potentially even, uh, you know, somebody who wants to retire soon and has run a big city or has been involved in a big city and is looking for a place to have one last go at it. Right. Yeah. They have that hunger to to prove that it, you know, it wasn't just their previous role. They can do it again somewhere else. I said this before when Michael Oshry, the former Ward 5 counselor, announced about a year before the end of his term that he wasn't running again and he became lame duck Oshry. That was my favorite Michael Oshry because he was straight putting motions about, yeah, let's raise taxes on the suburbs. Right. Never came back or went anywhere with that motion. And I'm real upset about that. But the idea of someone who, yeah, I'm not fighting for re-election. I'm not fighting to make political friends. I'm just fighting to do a good job. Yeah. I think that could be a really exciting proposition. I found the management of Edmonton. I don't know if this is fair to previous city managers, but I find it a lot like running a double-sized red deer is basically what our city 
management has been doing as sort of their visionary perspective. It's like, yeah, we're a small city that's getting bigger, not a big city that's growing into its pants. Absolutely. And, you know, Keith talks in his column about incrementalism, and I agree we need to try to avoid incrementalism. But I also think that the best way to achieve that is with some outside perspective Mm -hmm. that we sorely lack. Because you're right, we do treat it like, oh, we're just a bigger Alberta city. Do you think our city management position is attractive to outsiders? Because when Linda Cochran got the job, we did run an international search after we fired Farbrother and we landed on an internal candidate. Do you think that's likely to happen in the same way here? Well, ultimately, it's council's decision. So... I'm not sure how confident we are in this council's ability to take a risk themselves at the moment. Um, I think it should be appealing. The job pays well. Um, You're you're a pretty big city by North American standards, certainly by Canadian standards. Um, You can have a real impact not just on Edmonton itself, but on uh, the province and other parts of Canada through the things that the city is involved in. So I think it should be appealing to the right kind of candidate. The things about weather and, and all of those sorts of problems. I mean, every every city is going to have some challenges, so I don't think those are real barriers. Um, we do seem to have a mayor that says the right things around taking risks and trying new things and, you know, the innovation stuff that Keith is talking about. So it seems like the ingredients are here. I don't see why we shouldn't be appealing to the right candidates. Yeah, and I can see last time it was a pretty acrimonious relationship with the city manager. We had just fired the city manager for this big LRT project. That's still not done. But a new city manager could see from the outside what, uh, I can't use that word on this podcast, but what a snafu that whole situation was and might not wanted to step into that situation. That's been mostly resolved now. And While the city is going through a struggle with uh, provincial budget cuts, I think the right individual would actually see that as an opportunity to really flex and show how they can operate a lean and efficient city. Absolutely. We're going to see this develop over the next several months as council looks and narrows down the candidates. Um, I don't know how to segue this because we've been off for a month. (laughs) So we're just going to have a kludgy segue development subsidies in the quarters. That's something that basically is the only thing that actually happened this week. Yeah, I I was saying to you before we started recording, like there wasn't a lot of substantive news. But one of the things that executive committee did was look at a report on a proposal from city administration to create a fund to try to spur more development within the quarters. So um, the quarters is one of our CRLs in the city since 2011. We've invested $67 million in public infrastructure and they say that we've attracted private investment of over $800 million in planned and complete developments, including the Renaissance Tower, the Hat, Edgewater, um, the redevelopments of the Stovel Block and Brighton Block, which are looking uh, pretty encouraging. But they want to further incentivize development. And so they're proposing to create a dedicated stream of funding uh, to try to do that. And they talked a little bit about the Storefront Improvement and Development Incentive Grant programs, which I know you're a fan of. Yeah, it's Colloquially known as the corner store program, but yeah. it's the thing that built, for example, Richie Market and Richie. It gives money to local businesses to give facade improvements and streetscape improvements to just make it feel more community minded and better. Yeah. And Council Henderson was asking about this. He's like, so is this fund we're talking about basically just to top those programs up? Like, wouldn't people already have been eligible for those in the quarters? And the answer was, 
yeah, probably. And I guess it's kind of to top them up, but really they just want to take some of the money that we can get through the CRL mechanism and, uh, and, and I guess be able to make a statement to potential developers that, hey, we have this fund that is dedicated purely to try to uh, spur you to come into this area. Yeah, and we've seen the quarters be pretty sluggish in starting up development and revitalization. And Council's pretty eager to start the gentrification of that area. And anything really to spur that is probably in the interests of this current council administration. Yeah, well, and speaking of gentrification, you know, the, the quarters maybe being a bit slow is true, but perhaps not as slow as Belvedere. <laughs> uh, and that was something that Councillor Katarina brought up during this discussion. He talked about, well, he called it Fort Road, it's the Belvedere CRL. Um, and he said, you know, I support this issue or this idea for the quarters, but like, why can't we have this up in Belvedere in Fort Road? You know, they did have a per door subsidy when we started, but it didn't do anything. There hasn't been any development there. Like, why can't we have it there? See, and I was about to say, you know... <sighs> Well, obviously, because the quarters is downtown. Who wants to live over by <laughs> Belvedere? But hey, we've got an LRT line there. And a nice redone station, right? Yeah, we're we're talking about transit-oriented development and how we're building a new LRT line to, uh, you know, spur development along the line. Why don't we have development over by Fort Road? I'll give Councillor Katarina commendation. It's a good question. It is a very good question. Uh, the mayor also agreed with the question and kind of mused about, you know, how do we talk about this in a way that is outside of our reports that we get around funding? So they have obligations, obviously, to review each of the CRLs and they get reports on the financial status of those things. But what they're really looking for is, you know, do we need to pivot in strategy? Do we need to do different things within these CRL boundaries to try to achieve the kind of a of lift that we're looking for um and so they floated this idea of getting you know a report back outside of the budget updates to come you know there's a motion to be made at some point in the future it hasn't been made yet but that's a opening for katarina and others to talk more about what we can do in belvedere i suppose new year new us we should probably accommodate new listeners to the podcast what's a crl mac good good reminder uh crl stands for community revitalization levy it is basically a mechanism for taking tax dollars and making them in one area part of a special pot. So generally when we raise taxes, it goes into general revenue. So your tax assessment that you pay for your house, um, those property taxes go into this big pot of money that the city can then spend on any of the things that it needs to spend money on. What a CRL does is says any of the tax we collect from properties within this area must be spent on improvements within that area, projects and things within that area. And uh, it's allowed by the province. And in addition to capturing the city, city taxes, we also get the municipal or the education portion of the provincial taxes as well. So the city gets a bit more money to be able to spend in that area. So it allows us to borrow money now and pay it back over time. The theory being that if we invest in this area, we'll increase the value of all the properties and be making more money on taxes by the time the CRL comes to an end. So they're like 25 year long borrowing projects. against future tax revenues that will you'll invent those tax revenues by spurring new business and new residents to the neighborhood. Yeah. And it's a way to really take tax dollars and concentrate it. So, you know, the argument was that maybe we would have spent what we spent on the arena and other places, but we had to spend it downtown because that's where we created the CRL. So it can be a useful mechanism for that. There's lots of critics of that idea. Um, but that's what we're trying to do in the quarters is say, we're going to spend money to make this 
uh, a prettier place, improve the infrastructure, and that will hopefully attract development because this is the area that we want to concentrate development rather than allowing it to happen all over the place. So speaking of exactly that, the Arena CRL, part of the sort of lackluster moving forward of the ice district was the Baccarat Casino. It's been a bit of an eyesore for a long time after it closed down and the new casino opened attached to Roger's place. And people have been calling for it to, hey, get out of here for a little while. It's going to do that. Well, CBC did this story that said, yeah, demolition is in the cards, but we don't have the permit yet. We don't know what's going to happen with it. And I looked at it and I was like, this is is a non-story. We know it's going to get demolished at some point. And it's going to be a gravel parking lot. Well, that initially, sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the safe assumption in Edmonton, is it not? But you looked at this and thought, no, there's a different story here. I looked at this and yeah, my thought was it's going to be a gravel parking lot. Everyone on Twitter thought, yeah, this is going to be a gravel parking lot. We weren't happy about that, but we were begrudging knowing that, hey, this is Edmonton. Like prove us wrong. Yeah. The thing that caught my eye in the story that this is the one that came out several months ago Mm. was Scott McKean went in and said, no, this will absolutely not be a gravel parking lot. And I said, huh, that's an interesting take to take. Uh, Like, sure, I'm glad, but hmm, we'll see. And of course, this week, uh, an update came around and it's like, this is almost certainly going to be a gravel parking lot. And McKean was in the article basically accepting the proposition that this will be a gravel parking lot. The story said, quote, Ward 6 Councillor Scott McKean said he doesn't like the idea of a parking lot, but he's open to hearing more about the community fund. He doesn't really have a way to not allow it to be a gravel parking lot. It's not like a single councillor can unilaterally say, we're not going to approve this demolition permit and whatever else comes after that, right? Not right. Council can do anything well, they want. Well, council can, but not McKean individually. McKean individually can't. But this got me on the scent of, well, this is a familiar story. Okay. And... With the election coming up next year, I think it's important to take a good look at both our enemies, you know, as this leftist bastion we have here, (laughs) we've been accused of being, but also our quote unquote friends, because I've looked at McKean and just like I criticized Walters for, you know, playing in both sides of the fields, he campaigns to the left, but governs to the right. Yeah. I find McKean to be a bit of a wolf in progressives clothing. And I'm like, well, before I go slandering people on my podcast, Do I have anything to back up this assertion? So I started digging this week and I just found a ton of quotes. You'll remember we mentioned on the podcast quite recently, uh, McKean said this about the high level line, quote, I'm certainly not against corporations or individuals stepping up to help fund amenities like the high level line with the implication being, no, the city's absolutely not going to spend any money on this public park. He goes on to acknowledge that it'd be like a world class amenity, Amenity, but you know, Public parks, now nah, we don't want to fund that. We, we remember when e-scooters came to the city of Edmonton and potentially solving this last mile problem, he said, quote, I don't think there's a true mobility function to e-scooters. I think they're a toy. They're fun. And that's a little bit a lot, but it doesn't end there. The 16-story mezzo, which was approved on White Ave, which, you know, you can have opinions about the development. McKean's opinion was baffling. Uh, he said, quote, council needs to be concerned about setting a precedent. Downtown's vibrant sidewalk retail was destroyed by malls and towers. We mauled our downtown. We completely changed the character of downtown, and that started with a precedent. Sure, he's talking about the city center mall, and the city center mall hasn't been great for downtown, but the mezzo, whether you like or dislike the project, 
the only universally lauded aspect of the mezzo was its podium and its street level retail and the vibrancy it was adding to the street. Right. So that sounds like it's coded language to sound progressive, but actually oppose something that materially is what he is saying the downtown and presumably White Ave needs. But we're not done there. I've called McKean specifically for comment, and he admitted to me, I have firsthand knowledge of this, <laughs> that council pushed through and limited consultation on the high-level bridge suicide barrier project, crippling a major pedestrian and cycling route because council did not want to linger on the debate. He acknowledged, yeah, we should have caught all this. Uh, the community raised concerns, but we pushed straight through because we wanted to be done with this. That's weird for someone who uh, claims to be progressive and urbanist. The same bait and switch of initial plans going awry and the same thing happened on the Grote Road Bridge project where the uh, cycling path was narrowed to a point where cyclists were told to dismount for the entire five to ten minute walk. McKean's been silent on that, but on the Milner Library redevelopment where we had that same bait and switch, he's been staunchly defending since. Kind of inconsistent. Kind of inconsistent, except... Very consistent. When you look at McKean's record, there's not a lot there that shows him as a true bastion of progressiveness. And especially being a downtown counselor, right. you would expect that's where you would find it. Now, this has been especially prescient because the Columbia Ave redevelopment, we've talked about this in the past. That's 105. Behind the McEwen. Yeah, it's been on the books since the 1990s. It's a long overdue redevelopment. And council really pushed to get that done, McKean included. However, this is something that's come to light this week. They're removing protected bike lanes. So we built protected bike lanes on 105 Ave uh, as part of the downtown cycling grid. Right. Part of that is being removed and replaced with painted lanes as part of the 105 Ave redevelopment project. Hmm. McKean has been suspiciously silent about this whole thing, which makes you wonder how much of what McKean is saying to the media is actually reliable. So when he talks about not wanting it to be a gravel parking lot, you think he actually does? I don't know that he wants it to be a gravel parking lot. I don't think anyone wants sure. anything to be a gravel parking lot, but I think he doesn't want to upset his friends that want to make it a gravel parking lot. And he's playing both sides by pretending like, oh, my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do about this. There is something you can do about this. And if there was will on council to make that not a gravel parking lot, they could do that. It would not be a gravel parking lot. Yeah, I think that's fair criticism. Um, so this is something that we'll be keeping tabs on in the election coverage that's coming up. Because in order to move forward, we don't need people that say the right things. We need people that do the right things. Actions speak louder than words. The true values of your city you'll find in the budget. And if the budget doesn't have anything for the gravel parking lot demolition fund, then I think we want some gravel parking lots. We're going to leave you with some food for thought there. I think coming up to 2021, uh, we're not in election mode yet, but I think some of these stories are things that we need to develop on the upcoming thing. So if you want me to slag on any particular counselor, <laughs> go ahead, send me some details. We'll, we'll chat about that. This year will be the year we start to hear about uh, election campaigns and things like that a little bit more officially. So yes, there will be I, lots to cover. I've been party to a couple of discussions, uh, plenty of people asking me to run again. I'm going to put this out there to all the listeners. No, I will not be running again. Please stop asking See me. See his Petra Kucha talk. Um, However, that's all we've got time for this week. But exciting new year, new us. We've got a brand new ad for you to listen to.
This episode is brought to you by Inventures, a chance to connect with the best and brightest in global innovation. Join 4,000 creative and curious minds on the frontier of innovation at Inventures in Calgary. It's a conference with more than 250 speakers on six program tracks, including smart cities, vibrant communities. Inventures connects entrepreneurs and startups with venture capitalists, angel investors, service providers, and thought leaders, and it also includes an education track for students as well. It happens in Calgary from June 3rd to June 5th. It's organized and funded by Alberta Innovates. Tickets are only $299 if you buy before the end of January, and if you're a student, you can get an early bird ticket for just $99. Uh, I went down to Inventures in Calgary last year. Uh, the second year that they did it, we had a very strong Edmonton contingent and uh, people were talking about all the great things that are going in Ed- on in Edmonton, which I thought was amazing to have happen in Calgary. So you went to this conference and now your startup has graduated ATBX. Coincidence? I don't know. You'll have to go to Inventures and see. <laughs> Get your tickets today at InventuresCanada.com. That's InventuresCanada.com. And that's all for this week. We're back. We'll be back week to week. The slaving schedule of city council has, again, dropped its crushing hammer on our souls and we shall follow the council every week. The council roundup is back. You can get it at taprootedmonton.ca. All of our other roundups are also back for the new year. So if you'd rather not spend your days finding out what the news is and then verifying it, leave that to us and have it come straight to your inbox. And until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.